Hey everyone, I hope you're all good. I know it's been sunny out there, but it's still been really cold, so I'm back to the turtleneck. It's Embrace the Turtleneck Week for me. Uh, let's hope for some hotter weather coming. Um, I'm going to give part two of the message I started last week, which we titled, It Is What It Is, or Is It? It Is What It Is, or Is It? Uh, thank you so much for those who have fed back to me. It's been such a privilege of mine to speak into so many lives, especially through lockdown. But and to get the feedback I got last week, I really appreciate it. And uh, so glad to play my small part in your life. But one of the things I've been reflecting on this week is, is just to remind you that you are a brilliant person. There's so much going on in life around you, I'm sure, family members, friends, work, and all this kind of stuff, but you need to know that you are a unique individual. You are so important. You're valued by God. You are crafted in the womb for purpose. And so as we look at messages like this, I kind of want to encourage you to start thinking why you behave like you behave and why you do what you're going to do and why you think what you think and to start really thinking about you know who do I want to be what am I representing here because I don't want to see you let the next five years slip by the next 10 years slip by and look back and go oh it could have been different let's take a moment now to feel like my life is valuable and I want it to count for something and only you can decide what that is but let me champion in you that you are an awesome person and start to think like this why am I doing, is what I'm doing good? Why am I behaving like that? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe now's the time to think about these kind of things. Uh, but let's get into this message. Uh, it is what it is, or is it? And the premise is this, that we are in a society where so often we look at a situation, look at the people around us and think there's nothing I can do about it. It is what it is. But we were pressing in, weren't we, and saying, hang on, when we include God in the conversation, when we include God in the situation, then it doesn't always have to be that way. There's this, or is it, when we attach faith. And we looked at Joshua a little bit, and we looked at Esther last week. And um, again, thanks so much for the feedback, and I know it stirs so many people. So I want to continue this thought process today, and I want to look at the life of Jesus. And uh, Jesus absolutely did not settle for it is what it is. He didn't settle. The culture around him wasn't always healthy, but he did not settle for it. I, I love when you look at some of Jesus' mission statements. Let me read you three mission statements of Jesus straight from Scripture here in Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19. This is Jesus speaking. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You see, nothing in that statement from Jesus is about settling for what's going on around him. I've come to bring change. I've come to set people free. I've come that you'd have the best life to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, where you'll even receive things you haven't worked for. You know, he didn't come just to settle. Oh, it is what it is. I can't make a difference. That was nothing in Jesus' statement. Let's read another one, Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. He didn't come just to fit in and go through the motions and get by in life. He came to bring change. He came to make a difference to the people's lives around him. Final statement here, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, second half of that verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And we so often refer to John 10, 10, don't we? And it says that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, referring to the devil. But I, Jesus, I came to give you life and life in its fullness. You see, he didn't come to settle. 
and give you a pat on the back as you go through. No, no, he came to set you free from anything the devil wants to do to rob you, to steal from your life, to squash you down. And so often, I think, in society and in life today and in the culture we live in, it's very easy to get squashed. And again, I want to encourage you to start thinking, why am I living like I'm living? Why am I thinking like I'm thinking? Why am I behaving like I'm behaving? Is it because there's culture around me? Is it because there's things squashing me? Am I being robbed? Or am I living the best life that Jesus came for? Because these were his mission statements. The reality is that Jesus was active. He went looking to bring change. He went looking to bring life. He went looking to bring hope. He didn't just wait. He got active. And I think this is highlighted in the whole parable that he gives us of the lost sheep. You know, 100 sheep, 99 are safe, but one's missing. He could have said, I've got 99 out of 100. That's 99%. The other one's gone, could be anywhere, is what it is. Still got 99. He could have taken that attitude. But no, that was never the attitude of Jesus. Everyone counts. So he went looking. The parable says the shepherd went looking because it wasn't okay to settle for what's okay. He wants it right. And so when we look at the life of Jesus, there will be nowhere you find an attitude or a language where he will say, it is what it is. So again, we're looking at this idea of it is what it is, or is it? And we will bring that or is it into the conversation because of our faith and because of who lives in us and because of who we represent. The culture in Jesus' day, much like ours, had a whole bunch of normals. Now, things that were just normal to everyone around them. Today, we can look at our normals. We could all spout a load of normals off for, for us, and it was true of Jesus' day. But Jesus wasn't accepting it. There's a whole bunch of areas I could reel off to you where Jesus says, no, that is the culture of today, but I haven't come to live in the culture. I've come to bring change. This is what it is, but I'm bringing an or is it with me. You look at the idea of children, and in that culture, children weren't, didn't have a voice Children were to be seen and not heard and quite often not seen at all. They were pushed to the side. And we find that moment when the children come and want to sit at Jesus' feet and, and, and come and, and greet him and all the people there say, no, get away, get away. And Jesus says, no, I came for these such as these. Let them come to me. You see, it is what it is in culture that children don't come to me, but I didn't come to fit in with culture. I came to bring change. And so he said, let the children come to me. Now, for us, we're thinking, well, that's not a big deal because in our culture, it's normal to accept children. We love our children. We celebrate babies being born. We cheer our children on when they're doing well at school. We create platforms for them in church life and and such like. We embrace our children, but it wasn't the same then. But Jesus didn't accept that's what it should be like. He came to bring heaven, and children were accepted. Can you see what I mean? He didn't just accept what's going on around him. A biggie for Jesus, and I think it's still a biggie for us today, is the whole idea of religion. For me, as a lead pastor, I'm sure my, my friends and, uh, who don't go to church would say I'm religious because they put me in this box, he's a church person, he's religious. But I want to say I'm not religious, at least in the negative sense. And Jesus didn't like religion himself. Let me read you something from Jesus. Here in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 7, it says this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on every, every other person's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift the finger to move them. 
Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. And he goes on a bit further down the passage, Matthew 23, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Can you see this? Jesus gets annoyed with the religious attitude of the teachers of the law. He says, you want to look good, you do everything so people see that you look great, but inside it's dirty. You see, what Jesus came to do is to bring a heart relationship with his father. Religion says, if you do this, you'll be acceptable. Relationship says, we'll go on a journey together. It may not be perfect, but we'll fall in love. And on the journey, we'll learn to do this life together. See, I'm your father in heaven, and I love you. I don't expect you to be perfect, but let's walk this life out together. It's a relationship. What Jesus is saying is, you can try and look good on the outside, but inside your heart not be great. But when you get your heart right with God... Ultimately, the outside will become clean because as you fall in love with him, you'll start making different life choices. And he came not to bring a religion, but to bring a relationship. You know, I love this. In, in Luke 13, we find Jesus healing a woman on the Sabbath day. And that was against all the law. You don't lift the finger on the Sabbath. But Jesus said, I'm not having it. They would say she's, she's unwell, she's poorly, she's sick, but it's the Sabbath. It is what it is. And Jesus said, or is it? Because this leaving her unwell doesn't represent heaven at all. Leaving her unwell doesn't re represent my father's heart at all. And it might be the Sabbath, but I'm still going to do the will of my father. You see, he always pushed against religion and rules because he came to bring freedom and relationship. He came to bring heaven on earth. He wouldn't accept the cultural norms. It is what it is. Or is it? Jesus came to bring change. I, I love it. What about this area of, of women? You know, still stuff going on around lives of women today, but it's improving. Well, I want to say that Jesus did more for women than any other person ever. He just embraced women. You look at the story where Jesus goes to the woman at the well, and he goes out of his way to greet this woman. And she says to him, but I, I, I'm a Samaritan woman, and, and we shouldn't be speaking. And Jesus says, I'm not worried about that. The culture that I'm here to bring heaven. Not worried about, you know, it is what it is. No, 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 not for me it's not. And, and, and I'm a woman and, and, and a man doesn't speak to women. Yeah, but you're important to me. And he listened to her and, and then he unpacked her life and he revealed himself to her a little bit. And she ran back to her village and told people. And suddenly all the villagers came out to meet Jesus, this woman that had been ostracized and sent out collecting water in the heat of the day because no one wanted to be with her. Jesus gave her the time. And suddenly it shifted her life around. He gave her the respect she had craved. He gave her the acceptance she craved. And that represented heaven far more than looking at it is what it is. Jesus did so much for women. I, I love this. Let's look at this passage here in Luke 10 and verses 38 and 39. Listen to this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, I read that to you and you'll probably sit there thinking, well, so what? No big deal. 
But you need to understand the culture where this is being written. You see, Jesus is a rabbi. And sitting at the feet of a rabbi is the place of learning. And women weren't in that culture permitted to learn. Only the men were taught. But what's Jesus saying here? Well, she's a woman and she is welcome to sit at my feet. I am doing more for women's rights than ever's been seen before. Why? Because it might look like what it is in this culture, but I didn't come to fit into this culture. I came to bring heaven. And we value women. And so here's Mary sat at the feet of the rabbi in that place of learning, not being pushed aside by the men, which was their culture, but embraced by Jesus, who came to bring change. Jesus did more for women than had ever been seen before. You know, women traveled in Jesus' close group of friends. He respected them. He equipped them. He treated them like they'd never, ever been treated before. Jesus said, this might be the cultural norm, but I haven't come in to fit in with the cultural norm. I've come to bring heaven to earth. It might be what it is, but I'm bringing the or is it with me. Jesus came to bring change. You know, culture in that time said, you know, women are second to men. Women are treated as possessions in actual fact. Women don't have a contribution to make to, to, the, to the conversation. But Jesus said, no, I've come to change that. I've come to press against that. I'm not going to accept that's the culture we have to live in. I came to bring change. What about this whole idea of judgment? Now, probably the most famous judgment-based story in Jesus' life was the woman caught in adultery. And straight away, we can see this women thing. You know, the woman caught in adultery. Who knows it takes two to tango in adultery? Where's the man? But it's the woman who's getting, who's getting pulled up. It's the woman who's getting pushed against the wall. It's the woman who's having these things coming, coming up against her. And they're about to stone her. And that was the law. To be caught in adultery meant stoning to death. And they saw Jesus sat at the side and they said, Rabbi, what do you do? And he stands up and I love my Jesus. He's so flipping brilliant. He stands up and he says, whichever of you has never sinned, you throw the first stone. And they looked at each other and they realized, do you know what? We've all sinned. We've all sinned. And they dropped their stones and walked away. And the woman who's literally faced death in the eye comes to Jesus and says, wow. And he says to her this, are your accusers here? And she said, no. And he says, no, I don't accuse you either. But this is the thing. He didn't condone it. He didn't say it was okay. He then said, go and sin no more. Go and live a better life. Can you see the situation? He is set, he's not being judgmental, but he's also not condoning it. He's saying, come on, you can do better than that. And he sets her free to go and make a different choice. I love the fact that my Jesus sets me free to make a better choice. He sets you free to make a better choice. Not, not judgment here. But the freedom to live better, it's grace. I love the way that Jesus handles the outcasts. In that time, particularly lepers, it was so contagious. They were literally cast out of the villages. They couldn't live with people. But when they saw Jesus and his reputation for healing, they come running out. And Jesus could have said, stay away from me. No, no, no. But he didn't. He embraced the lepers and he healed the lepers. He treated them with respect. Jesus pushed against all of the cultural norms. He didn't just accept it is what it is. And this whole idea of status, and probably some of this stuff still goes on in our world today. Look what Jesus said about it in Matthew 23, 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, Jesus come to flip it on its head. So many people think they're important, think they've got a title, think they've got this, that, and the other thing. And Jesus says, none of that impresses heaven. But humility is impressive in heaven. And so those who are humble will be lifted up. And it just came to bring this switch 
literally nothing where Jesus is concerned stayed as it was. He wouldn't leave anything as it is what it is. He always brought with him a change of heaven. You see, everything in the time Jesus lived wasn't healthy. And you could say, what difference could he make? He's one man. You know, it is what it is. But he didn't accept that. He stood for something, and here's the key. He was backed by the weight of heaven. So what I want to propose is, can we personalize that? You know, how can I make a difference? You know, little old Pastor Barry in Colchester, what difference could I make? Ask yourself the same question. How can you make a difference? You know, so much going on in society and around us. It is what it is. But I want to say, no, we call ourselves Christians. And the word Christian means like Christ. We've just unpacked what Christ did, and we are called to be like him. So what does that look like? You know, we looked at the Israelites last week in Joshua's story, and they saw what was up against them, and they said, we are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We see ourselves as small. You know, I could have used the story of Gideon. Gideon is this guy who came from the weakest clan and was the weakest man in that clan, and yet God used him to set the people free, used him to go and win the battle. And so often I think we see ourselves as, as insignificant and God's saying, no, 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 you represent heaven. My spirit lives in you. You are called to be like my son Jesus. Come on, you are Christians. Let's stand up and be counted. The same was true of Esther. What can I do? But she stepped out in faith and God backed her and used her. I wonder what God could do with people like me and people like you if we stop looking at ourselves as insignificant and start saying, I'm here representing Jesus. I'm a Christian, like Christ, empowered from heaven. I, I um, Looking at my own life, I'm a trustee of, of Beacon House, the, the homeless charity in our town in Colchester. And they do some amazing, amazing work. It's my privilege to, to serve as a trustee there. I go in uh, once a month and do a a pastoral time with the staff and do some teaching too and it's just incredible but in the process you start to understand what homeless people go through and I think probably we many people have got an opinion on, on homeless people and probably lots of associations oh you know they've ended up there because of all kinds of different reasons but it's so often just not what you think that People could end up homeless for all kinds of reasons. They say that two bad decisions could make you homeless. Your marriage fails and you lose your job and you can end up homeless. That could happen to anyone. And this is what I found and, you know, I'm not trying to say that I can make all the difference, but if we start understanding, we can all make a little bit of difference. And what, what I've understood is that when homeless people are in the street, you know, sitting trying to keep warm or, or, or whatever, no one even looks at them in the eye. No one says hello, no one says how are you, people just walk past them. And so they became, become like this faceless person. Can you imagine going for an entire week and no one even looking at you? What would that do to you on the inside? And you know what, it just breaks my heart. Because it could actually be any of us. And so what I know I can do, I may not be able to change everything, but what I can do when I walk past a homeless person is look at them in the eye and say hi. What I can do is buy them a cup of coffee. What I can do is stop for five minutes and just say, how are you doing? Ask them about themselves. And do you know what? They light up. And it just gives them a little bit of self-esteem back. Do you know what? I can do that. It's not okay that they feel like a faceless person. They're a human being created in the image of God who Jesus died for. And I can do better than that. And do you see what I mean? It's just imagine if we all did that. And imagine if we started telling other people like that. We could change the self-esteem of a whole community of people in our town just by making one little shift in our own attitudes.
you know, you look around society today and especially more recently through lockdown, the, the whole area of, of race has come up, hasn't it? It's become very much to the floor, to the fore. And you might say, well, well what can I do? You know, it is what it is. It's been going on for, for generations. What can I do? Well, you can take the attitude and do nothing and it will change nothing. Or you could start thinking, well, I'm going to learn about it. I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to look into the history. I'm going to talk to some people who may have been affected like that. I'm going to get some understanding. And out of getting some understanding, I'm going to be part of the conversation. I'm going to speak up when I get an opportunity because I've got some understanding rather than let it wash over me. And if I do that and can come in the opposite spirit, maybe we could all play a little small part in being the solution. And if we all did it, wouldn't it be awesome if it shifted? Wouldn't it be awesome if some of our friends and our family members actually had a different life experience because we stood for something different? And again, you know, on the one hand, you think, who am I? But on the other hand, I'm someone who could learn something. I'm someone who could speak up. And I'm someone who's backed by the Father to represent Jesus and not accept the cultural norms. Come on, we're here to bring change, people. What about this area of, 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 right, of, of mental health? It's huge now. You know, and more and more, we're learning more and more about it. And, you know, again, I could say, well, you know, it is what it is. People have difficult lives. There's not much I can do. Or I can get some understanding. I can talk to some people. I can do some reading, do some due diligence, and, and make it important to, to me to be able to be part of the solution. I could be outrageously kind. I could be outrageously gracious. You know, I, I could just be there for someone. More importantly than that, I can pray. I could help someone get God in the middle of their situation and just believe for a miracle where something shifts. When we bring Jesus into the equation, things shift. So on the one hand, you could look at it and think, well, what difference could I make? But on the other hand, we could make a huge difference if we're willing to not accept it is what it is. Jesus didn't, and I don't want to. I hope you won't either. Could we become part of the solution? You know, when we look at history you know, all the different big parts of history you'd like to think i i speak for myself and I'm, i could well be speaking for you when i read history i put myself in the position of the hero the one who brings the change that's what that's what i would have done but the reality is would we what is the likelihood of actually you being the one that would have been the, the hero in that moment what, what's the chances of that or would you have gone with the flow like everyone else did and here we are in this moment in history, this unique time with, with all different kinds of things going off around us. And we can go with the flow, or we, we could become the heroes. We could be part of the solution. We could be part of the ones that say, no, this isn't okay. We're going to learn about it. We're going to make a good decision. We're going to speak up. We're going to be the comforter. We're going to be there for someone. We're going to be part of the change. Could we now start thinking, I'm going to look around and start acting how I believe Jesus would have acted in any given situation I find myself in. Could you play your part? Do you know what? It doesn't have to be what it is. There's always this, or is it, that you carry in your spirit. When I look at our personal world, my personal world, your personal world, you know, we, we talk about things like your income and your health and your relationships, things that are important to us. You know, I believe we are uniquely positioned right now with... with to put into practice all this amazing teaching that's out there. You know, we've got, we are better educated now than, we've, than ever before. There's so much information and so much knowledge, which is great and is good and is helpful. And if we could put some of that into practice, we could shift what's going on in our world. 
But our unique position as the church is that we also know our spiritual authority. So if we could, on the one hand, get understanding with what the world's teaching and then God's allowed this great teaching, these great people to unpack stuff for us, but then bring into that our spiritual authority and, and, and bringing God into the conversation, I believe that those who include God centrally can expect, in faith, a better outcome. You know, it's great to get learning, and lots of people are getting that, and I think we should get that. But let's never negate our spirituality. We can include our spirituality, get God's central in it all, and stir our faith. We can, in faith, expect a better outcome. Have a look at this with me, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 25. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes in what they, they say, it will happen for them. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. You see, the mountain in your life, whatever it is, it isn't necessarily what it is because in faith, you can shift it. When you get God in the middle of it, it can shift. Let's put some of these things together. Let's just picture ourselves, you know, you know, we're up against it in our finances and you want to see some change. Well, can we do the practical bit? You know, could you change your job? Could you change the way you're managing your finances? We've talked about that in church life recently. You know, if you want to change your job, could you study some more? Could you get some more training? Could you position yourself to be a more employable person? Could you do your due diligence? You know, maybe if you're someone who's looking at your health and thinking, actually, I, I, I want to be a bit healthier, can you do a lifestyle shift? You know, can you practice the things you know, changing your diet, increasing your exercise, getting better sleep, the things that you know are going to help you? And then having done the practicals, can you apply your faith to your action so that you will see supernatural acceleration? You know, I, I believe we're called to do both. We have to be men and women of wisdom and maturity. We have to apply the things we know and they say, come on, God, I'm doing my best. Will you do the rest? And he comes in and suddenly you are accelerated. Jesus wants to lead his church in triumph. But we need to play our part in doing that by living disciplined lives. And I love that at the end there. Here, even with Jesus, he's saying, come on, you can play your practical part in this. Come to God in faith and pray and believe for it. But if you're holding something against someone, you've got to make a choice now. This isn't a faith issue now. This is a choice on your behalf. Forgive them. Let it go so that God can forgive you and release you into the freedom he's always wanted for you. So there's the spiritual element in faith, but there's the practical choice you need to make to go hand in hand with the faith. And so here we are as a clever, intelligent, brilliant people in 2021, looking at our lives thinking, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I behaving how I hope? Am I positioning myself for the best life? Am I representing Jesus well? And they're good questions. And there's some practical and there's some spiritual. And they need to collide together so we have a bunch of people who are making great wise choices, empowered by faith with the weight of heaven before you so that you can walk out your life in triumph being led by Jesus. And in the process, maybe blessing someone else on the way. Maybe creating some cultural shift on the way. Maybe just changing the culture in your own home and your own life along the way. It is what it is, or is it? Because you have the empowerment from heaven to do what you need to do. 
You know, I've been reading this book here. Um, it's called Under the Influence. Recommend it to anyone. It's quite a thick, chunky book. But it's, it's uh, how Christianity has transformed civilization. I found it so fascinating, so faith-stirring, so challenging to see what my brothers and sisters in history have stood for, which has actually helped position me and you in a better place. It's really quite inspiring. When you look at uh, the Christians in times gone by, they entered places under Roman rule. And in Roman rule, it's very much a, a pagan society. And, and the thing with paganism, it completely removes God and ultimately is about ego and, and self-satisfaction. The trouble with that is it always ends up in death, it always ends up in pain, and it always ends up in hurt every single time. Remove God totally, it's always going to end there. And this is the society they lived in. But I love that the Christian church stepped into those places and didn't just look at it and go, wow, this is the Roman rule, this is pagan society, it is what it is. No, 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 they definitely carried an or-is-it spirit in them and shifted some stuff, some quite deep stuff. I think of, you know, and this is a difficult one, but child molestation. Now, to us, that's abhorrent, isn't it? To us, you think, what on earth? But do you know what? That was perfectly normal in, in Roman pagan society, to expect that children would be treated in a sexual way horrendously. It was normal. It was even celebrated. It was done in public on the street. It was normal. But up rocked the Christian church and said, we're not going to do that. We don't agree with that. That's not happening here. And they stood for something, and they stood up and were counted, and it was difficult. You know, we look at the whole idea of divorce. Now, you know, big topic, but in that day, divorce was a property issue. And when I say that, the woman was owned by the man. She was the man's property. It meant that at any given point, for multiple reasons, the man could divorce the woman because he owned her. But the woman couldn't divorce the man at all because he was her property. And the Christians rocked up and said, no, 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 no. My Jesus gave women value. She's not your property. She's a human being. She's a person. And marriage needs to be founded on love. And they brought teaching. But the trouble is it pushed against their, their paganism. It pushed against their, their self-indulgence. All the men were like, oh, hang on a minute. And it really pressed against it. And what I want to say is that today, if you go to a marriage ceremony today and, and there's some purity around it, maybe the white dress and the reverence in the service, the reason that exists is because our brothers and sisters in a pagan culture said, no, we're standing for something. This is pure. This is holy. This is representing God. Women are of value. They stood for something. And now we're able to experience those days. And you'll all be familiar with, you know, the, the, the Christians being thrown to the lions and the auditoriums full of, of Christians being thrown in with gladiators and the like. And we know those stories. Well, these are the reasons they were thrown there. Because in a pagan culture, they wouldn't stand for it. They said, no, we're not going to go with the flow. We're not going to go with culture. You say it is what it is, but we say, no, it's not. And they stood for Jesus. And many of them paid with their lives. But here's what happened. It's amazing reading this book. Here's what happened. So many of the Roman leaders looked at them and said, actually, wow, I can see how their lives are better than ours. And bit by bit, important people in that time started to meet Jesus. And the Roman culture was shifted. And because some people stood for something, and, you know, many, many other, other cases. You know, I, I looked at, you know, hospitals and healthcare. Hospitals and healthcare was the result of the church stepping up. Do you know the first hospital was built in the year 369 by a guy called St. Basil? 
Praise the Lord for St. Basil. It was a Christian guy who said, come on, over the years the pagans wouldn't deal with sick people because they believed they would get sick with them and die. But the Christians said, hang on a minute. We are carrying Jesus with us. We're not going to be fearful of that. We're going to treat them well. And he created a, these, these buildings where people could come and get, get well. Hospitals. It was done by the Christians. Someone had to say no. It is what it is, or is it? St. Basil had a spirit in him that said, I'm not going to stand for this. I'm here to represent heaven. I'm not here to fit in with culture. I'm here to bring the culture of heaven. Public education, we take it for granted today, don't we? But years ago, it wasn't for all classes. It was just for the very, very wealthy. But Martin Luther in Germany, he organized that schools would be funded by people's taxes, and it opened it up for everyone, education for all. The poor, the needy, it didn't cost them anything. He was the one. Who was it? A Christian guy. It was the church who came in and didn't settle for the culture and said, no, we're here to bring heaven. We're here to do something different. We're creating a better future for someone else. And my point is this, that over the years, people with Jesus in their heart have not accepted the cultural climate. They have pushed for something a little bit more like heaven. And I guess... Speaking to you now in all of this, when you think about the things I'm saying today, and when you think about the things we said last week, we can settle or we can play our part to bring a closer picture of heaven. We could play our part with individuals around us. You might be someone who feels really anointed and gifted and equipped to go and play a part on a bigger stage, but we can all play our part in some way if we won't just settle. But it's going to take a bit of learning understanding it's going to take a bit of faith to rise up in us but let's be people right now to say come on my life is important my life has to count for something when I look back at it all I want to feel like I made it count I want to feel like I brought a touch of heaven to someone's life I want to feel like I made the best of it I want to feel like I, I understood that I'm an important person and I lived like that so we are preparing to unlock it's exciting isn't it as we unlock could we be the people that have a prayer in our heart that says, God, help me to see people in situations as you see them? Not just to long that it'll go back to how it was, but to long that we could actually bring a culture of heaven more into our places where we live, where, you know, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our social spaces, in our nation even. Could we be men and women and children who have a Jesus shout in our heart to say, this might be what it is for everyone else, but I'm here to bring change. Could you start with you? Could you start shifting yourself and your attitudes and your language and your faith levels? Could you ask yourself some big questions about how you're handling your life and are you representing Jesus well? Come on, as we unlock, wouldn't it be awesome if the church, and by the church I mean me and you, got together and says, come on, we're here to bring change. We're here to love some people. We're here to give people their self-esteem back. We're here to put people on a platform and, and encourage them. We're here to bring heaven just like Jesus did. And even the unacceptable. Come on, we want to accept people. Jesus came and just loved people and loved people and loved people. And my hope is to stir you to such a place where you're prepared to love anyone in the name of Jesus. And as you do that, I believe your life will go forward because Jesus wants you to be blessed. He wants you blessed so you can be a blessing. He wants you to have the fullest life so you represent his Father. And we are called to all of this. So let me end on. It is what it is, or is it? It's your choice, but I know this, when you're empowered by heaven, all things are possible. Can I pray for you?
Father, I want to thank you for every brilliant person that's tuned in to listen to this message. Lord, I want to ask that by your spirit, you'd stir us. We wouldn't let this message just wash over us and, and think it was nice, but you'd take this message deep into us and challenge ourselves to what can I do differently? How can I live differently? How can I think differently? How can I speak differently? How can I become part of a solution? How can I bless individuals? How can I bless a community? And Lord God, in all of that, we trust you with our own lives. Thank you that you're for us. Thank you that you'll never leave us. Thank you that you're leading us forward in triumph. Help us to be wise, but help us to be full of faith that when we see obstacles and difficulties, we won't ever look at it just as it is, but we'll always have that faith shout that says, or is it? So stir your church, I pray, Father God. I speak a blessing on everyone right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I hope that stirred you, encouraged you, you know, especially when we get together in connect groups later in the week. I, I pray that we can, we can stir each other up and talk about that, personalize it a little bit and encourage each other. But as always, before we, we send back to the worship team, I want to pray for those people who don't yet know Jesus. You know, maybe you're someone who's known Jesus once and you've just let your faith slip a little bit. It's the day the day you get right with Jesus. And I know, I know, I know that when you get Jesus in the middle of your life, it's just better. It just shifts stuff. So if you're someone who's coming to a point of decision today that says, yeah, I, I want this Jesus in my life, I'm going to pray for you. Father God, just thank you for Jesus. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Today, I invite you to live in my heart. Lord, I say sorry for the way I've lived that's kept you out. But today, I welcome you in. Be the center of my life. Lead me forward. Help me to learn. Disciple me. Lord, put me in great relationships where we can walk this life out together. But in it all, I say thank you, Jesus, and I accept you as my Lord, Savior, and friend. And all those people said, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, please get in touch with us. We want to walk this out with you. We want to stand with you and celebrate with you the best decision you'll ever, ever make. But now I'm going to hand back over to the worship team. So God bless you. Have a great week. If you said yes to Jesus today, we are celebrating with you. We would love to pray with you and send you a Bible and some resources to get you started on your faith journey. Please go to equippers.co.uk forward slash I said yes or follow the link in the chat box so we can get in touch.